Welcome to the Doing Hard Things podcast. We've all heard that we can do hard things, but what about when it coincides with a cooperative and philanthropic spirit? That's where we find purpose-driven business at the crossroads of hard things and heart things. I'm your host, Amanda Mazzo. I'm an artist and business owner and have been my own boss for more than 15 years. I'm also a purpose mentor to collegiate juniors and seniors and am so inspired by conversations around who people are becoming versus what they're achieving. My guest today is Liz Talego. Did you wake up this morning, pour yourself a ridiculously large cup of coffee and ask yourself, how can I challenge the healthcare establishment today? Or what can I do to funnel more power and resources to folks who traditionally haven't had very much of either? Yeah, Liz did, but it didn't start off that way. Her transition to purpose-driven content strategy and consulting came after spending years on the front lines of mental health care. Liz is also the co-host of a new and noteworthy podcast. Scope Creep is a show for anyone who is interested in building a values-first brand that leaves you healthy and wealthy. We're so glad you're here. Now let's get to the heart of it. Liz Talego, welcome to Doing Heart Things. I am so excited that you are here with me today. It feels like such a treat to have a new and notable podcast celeb in the studio. I'm so proud of you and Jamie. Before we kick things off, I just wanted you definitely to talk about the show a little bit and tell me why that was a yes for you. Yes. So, well, first of all, thanks for being a listener and a fan. Um, It has definitely been a whirlwind and we are so honored with how well it has been received. It was one of those things that Jamie and I started almost because we felt like we had to. Um, She and I are both independent business owners and consultants in the creative space and the technology space. And for years and years, we've been like having these side conversations about how we run our businesses in this really different way than a lot of what's portrayed out there. And for those of you that haven't listened, we really focus on building sustainability, on prioritizing our mental health and our bottom lines at the same time, and a way of working that supports our well-being instead of detracts from it. But doing that by, you know, really focusing on what works and building community around what works and not focusing a lot a lot of the fluff that's out there. Um, if you listen to Scope Creep, you know we also critique a lot of the predominant kind of girl boss business advice out there and um, give lots of tips and insight for different ways of working that have really worked for us. That's so good. And I have to tell you, so I went to um, Arizona a couple of weeks ago and I binged several episodes and I was just listening on the airplane, like nodding emphatically laughing. I'm sure I totally bothered my seatmates, but (laughs) it really is great. And I think what makes it another part that makes it great is like just you're being authentic and telling it like it is. It really resonates with people. People relate to it. So yes. Thank you. Good Thank job. You, honestly, you know, Jamie and I, that is probably one of the best compliments you can give us because we started this not as a business tool, although it has certainly led to that. And now clients listen to it, which is another interesting thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we kind of took a chance and tried to practice what we preach in this show, which is that showing up unapologetically as yourself in your work, in your life is good for business and it's good for your mental health and it draws the right people to you and it repels what is not for you. Yes. And the show has just been like this living, breathing example of that. And I can't tell you how many other 
freelancers, business owners have said that same thing where it's like, I'm listening and I'm like nodding and I'm hell yesing. Yes. And so having that feedback is great because we made the show for people like us who felt like they maybe didn't have another type of business podcast home. And so it's really great that it's resonating. And the other part for me, it just resonates to the point where I'm like, I'm not alone. Like there are other mm-hmm. people out there that feel the same way that I do about these certain topics or how to just make the business work for you when it's something that you're in and you've got to figure it out. So we've emailed a little bit about this. um, But when I started serving as a purpose mentor to college students, the staff asked us to introduce ourselves um, without saying what we do. And when I brought that to you, you said, okay, if it appears like a hard thing for me to do, it's probably a worthwhile thing for me to figure out. So inquiring minds want to know, Liz, how would you introduce yourself? (laughs) Yes, it's a hard question to ask uh, a person like myself who identifies so much by what I do. And there's good and bad parts of that, right? The good parts are that I have found a thing to do that lights me up and inspires me and is so aligned with who I am as a human being and what I care about as an embodiment of what I believe to be forces for good in the world. But at the same time, like Jamie and I joke that left to our own devices, we're going to monetize every hobby we have because we are always thinking about building and doing and like, what is the next thing that we can create? A lot of extra energy, I guess. But I guess I'll say that I had a professor in my undergrad, um, say something to me once that's always really resonant resonated and that he said that he he really enjoyed having me as the class philosopher <laughs> oh wow and I was like oh yes please tell me more um and it was in a museum studies class by the way which is again another story um but we were learning about you know, history and art and how to tell stories with objects And it became really apparent to me that in the pursuit of that knowledge, there were stories you could tell, but you were also telling stories by what you weren't saying. Mm. And I have always been a person that's really invested in putting a light on those things that we're not saying, because I think that is where the richness of the story truly lies and that it's dishonest to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a person that moves through the, through the world, maybe as a philosopher, I'll take it, right? Um, but it, that is just very curious. I'm also um, an Enneagram type eight, if you know anything about that. And so I'm a huge champion of the underdog. Um, justice is very important to me. And I like to try to do my best to give kind of the proverbial microphone to people whose voice hasn't really been amplified very much. Mm. And consider mm-hmm. myself a bit among, you know, that group, but know that it extends far beyond me to people who are like me and very different. Yeah, I like that. Staying curious, I think is so important, um, especially in the work that we do. I know you that you work in content. And for me, as a digital storyteller with our clients, I think that's where it starts, right? Like being curious, asking the questions. So because we read your bio at the at the beginning of the podcast, we know that your roots are in mental health care. Walk me through that journey a little bit into content strategy and consulting. What drove you to work for yourself? What is what did that look like for you? Yeah. So my master's is in mental health and education. Uh, I was a school counselor for a long time and I was employed in various districts throughout Montana. We talked a little bit about uh, Montana before we 
uh, press record, but I lived there for almost 10 years. And um, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful things about that place. But one of the not so great things about that place is just access to mental health care is terrible. Um, more terrible than the average that is terrible throughout mm. our country. It's a big state. There's a lot of room to roam, but there's not a lot of support. And so for those of us that were working in that space, um, very high caseloads, one-way ticket to burnout without a lot of support. Um, and so I decided for my own mental health and well-being that I needed to make a pivot. And when I moved to Nashville, which is, for those of you that don't know, kind of a big healthcare hub, a lot of healthcare kind of corporate uh, headquarters in that area, um, through a series of kind of um, just random events, I got a job in-house at a mental health care conglomerate that owned like 400 treatment centers, a huge fish in the industry. And wow. I got a job in their in-house content department. And I learned the discipline of content strategy within healthcare and content strategy specifically in this really interesting space in which we're trying to tell stories and draw people in and essentially sell a service that most of us hope we never need mm. or we hope a loved one never and so I learned how to use my clinical expertise in this different way. But spoiler alert, um, corporate Liz is very square peg, round hole, not a fit. <laughs> and while I learned a lot of valuable lessons about how to do that different type of work, the setting was not a fit for me. Um, ethically, you know, I saw how the sausage was made and I wanted to do this type of work, but I wanted to do it on my own terms. And I also found out about a really large wage disparity between myself and a male colleague, colleague, shocker. Um, and it was just all these things, all these messages coming at me at once that it was like, you know, th this is not for me. And although I was terrified and I had never run my own business before, they don't teach you that in grad school when you're studying mental health. Um, I decided to go out on my own and I set some lines in the sand for myself about types of work I would and would not do, ways of working that I would and would not engage in, types of clients I would or would not collaborate with. And I'm really proud of the fact that I've stuck to those over many years and now have um, you know, my own consultancy, my own independent business that is doing really well. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. And and boundaries are so important. I'm <laughs> the longer that I'm in business for myself, the more that um I realize that. And you know, we've we've had other conversations with people. I think um I'm not sure that Michigan is like this so much, but in the South, you know, it's oh sure, I can do that for you. Oh, it's an emergency. Sure, I'll sacrifice this, you know, just being that kind and warm and hospitable type of person instead of saying, like, you know what? No, that's a Saturday. You know, there's a line there and um, I'm not going to cross that. So tell me what a typical work day looks like for you. That's a really good question because there are no two days that are identical. Yes. I have over many years through a series of trial and error and screw ups um, figured out some things that work for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to get honest about who I am, what's really true about me as a creative, as a business owner, as a consultant, and not what I wish was true. Like I, I wish I had these like really predictable bursts of productivity and was like super great at just like taking notes and being super organized. And that's not who I am. So uh, in embracing that, I have tried to uh, engineer some techniques that have helped me 
you know, do the best work I can while taking good care of myself. And so that means dividing up different types of work. Um, so a large part of my day is often spent writing or doing research. And on those days, um, I'm not taking a lot of client calls. Those are happening on other days where I kind of got, get my people fixed and then I can go into like my writer hole for the, the next day yeah. and be, be more productive. But it's really a lot of talking to founders, talking to leaders in kind of the health tech space, other entrepreneurs, uh, figuring out where they're feeling stuck in their storytelling, in their content strategy, in their content marketing. I also do a lot of product content development. So, you know, all these apps that we have that are designed to help support mental health. Uh, I do a lot of work of curriculum design on those, behavior change paradigms, things like that, and bring that human element and that clinical clinical validity element to it as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, what is one thing that starting your business did that you did not anticipate? For myself or for my clients? Oh, maybe both. Start with yourself. You know, it took a minute, but there's been an evolution of identity that's happened for me. Mm. Um, We say all the time on Scope Creep that isolation for solopreneurs is the enemy. And it's Mm -hmm. really easy, especially when you work for yourself, you work from home. It's super easy to just kind of get in your own little bubble and there are so many bad things that can happen, not just from a personal mental health standpoint, but from business case standpoint. If you're not kind of in touch with your peers, if you're not connected to your, to your world. And one of the things I struggled with at the beginning was I didn't immediately identify as a business owner. I identified with my output. I identified with the type of experience I wanted to carve out and create for my clients and the impact that I wanted their end users to have. That was not hard for me to kind of feel aligned to. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I would see these meetups for, you know, women in tech, female entrepreneurs in Nashville, for a long time, I felt like those spaces weren't for me. And that led to a whole lot of isolation that was not good for me. And so in doing a lot of therapy and, (laughs) and a lot of, you know, hard conversations with myself, I think I've finally been able to embrace that, that piece that is so true about me. And now I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Of course, I I owned my own business. I was in, in the business of building businesses. I was absolutely um, entitled to that piece of my identity. But I think the culture doesn't make it very easy for us, especially as women, um, to embrace that part of ourselves. Mm, And so mm -hmm. it took me a minute. And that was certainly an unexpected, but really welcome evolution when it happened. It's so interesting. You know, we, we talked a little bit about like the boss babe stuff, which (laughs) makes me cringe. I hate it. Um, but with that, you know, there's this whole hustle culture on social media and, you know, thinking about identity, I went through something in 2020 and I didn't even realize that it was tied to my work. Uh, you mentioned Enneagram eight, I'm an Enneagram three. So, um, or I identify with that with like a really strong four wing, but we're the performer and the achiever. And so I guess somewhere deep down inside was if you don't perform, whether it's in work or, um, anything (laughs) like on stage, like I love to sing karaoke, but if it, (laughs) you know, if I, if I'm not performing, if I'm not putting out the work or letting people see like what I'm doing, what am I? And so you, 
I went through this thing, I guess, in 2020. I don't think I'm alone because I think that year affected everybody. But where I really had to come down to the foundation of like, when that's gone, what remains? We all are inherently worthy. And that's when some of these conversations around purpose started coming up. And I was like, ooh, this is important because people need to stop listening to the lies on social media and, you know, shedding the weight of other people's opinions and really lean into their authenticity, who they are, even if it means that they're a square peg in a round hole. So with mental health, I'm thinking about the power of technology, right? And social media, as we've just been talking about, how it can be used for good, like getting to chat with new friends who I've never met uh, and don't live in the same state. But I noticed something at the bottom of your email that I really admired when we first emailed. It said, current mental health routine, coming back from a social media breather and being intentional about it. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I do update that. That's just part of my signature. Um, And it's twofold. It's a little bit of accountability for me because I, of course, like we all do say that my mental health is precious and I want to prioritize that. And I want to communicate that to other people to hopefully normalize that for them. And maybe, maybe they'll read that and we'll think about maybe they could have their own version of whatever that might be. So hopefully um, that resonates, but you know, I work in tech. And I'm also an elder millennial. Um, (laughs) And so my my relationship with social media, uh, you know, historically hasn't been great. On the one hand, you know, I feel like I can give myself like this permission because of my job to never unplug. Like, well, this is research. This is work. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I miss this whatever catastrophe is going to happen, the lies we tell ourselves, right? Right. Um, And so when I moved to Michigan, I, you know, I had kind of started over in a lot of ways and I didn't feel like I wanted any of that out there in the world. I wanted my time to make some adjustments in my life, my new home with my fiance, with some family changes that had happened. I wanted that time to myself. And so I didn't like make some big decision, you know, it kind of just happened. And then when I realized how much better I felt stepping away from social for a little while um, and that the sky did not fall, I realized how much I needed. So I am trying to have more balance with it these days, but the break was definitely um, good. Yeah, I think that's so good. Again, the whole boundary thing, but not only boundaries, like you said, um, encouraging other people to implement something that feels right for them too, and letting them know that's, that's okay. That's, um, kind of vulnerability in a way. Like one of the things that I'm learning about vulnerability is it's contagious. So if you're vulnerable, it invites other people to be vulnerable as well. Also, it's like a subtle, just um, just so you know, client, I am a person that prioritizes. Yeah. I'm not a magician so, and I'm not a worker bee. No, as yeah. someone who has worked in a field with actual emergencies, like real life or death emergencies, mm-hmm. I can tell you, we're not going to have a content version of that. So like there is, there is no, I guess I should never say never. There is like crisis comms that 
are, are very timely, but for the most part, um, it's letting my clients know like, Hey, I'm a person with boundaries. Yes. Hey, I'm a person that prioritizes mental health. I hope you are one of those folks too. Yes. And that goes back to what you were saying. Like, if you are cool, cool, cool. We're here. We're like, we're you're, you're my people. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so important. So we're talking about intentionality in social media breaks, purpose-driven content strategy, and the yeses that we align ourselves to. Um, what does purpose mean to you? And how do you feel like you're, how are you pursuing living that out? You know, one of the things that I tell potential clients, potential collaborators, is that I'm not afraid to be really clear about the fact that I believe our mental health, health care and kind of healthcare system overall is broken. And I am not interested in participating in an exercise of simply digitizing the status quo, making an app for an already non-solution. We can do that. Venture capital will probably throw a lot of money at it if we are slick enough. Um, but I'm not interested in doing those things. I, I'm interested in stepping outside of that and working on things in different ways. Um, and I know that might sound a little aggressive. And I do think that there are small ways to do that. They don't feel have to feel so um, global. But my work is largely about finding ways to solve our access to mental health problem, provider shortage problem, um, stigma problem, lack of understanding about you know, the supports that are even out there mm -hmm. in ways that haven't been done before by leading those conversations and pulling the hood back on some of the things that might be confusing or off-putting, um, frankly, just kind of hidden in the shadows that might be really helpful to people who wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to engage with those supports. My next question was going to be about values, but I'm hearing you even from the beginning when you were talking about like why you did this in the first place, like why you went out on your own and really hearing how you weave these in and out. What are some tangible ways that you're translating those to your client? I mean, other than just having the conversation of saying like, I'm not interested in doing that. How do we communicate that to people, even if they come to us and we see all these other things aligning, but they're still looking around and seeing, well, that's what everybody else is doing. Like, I think there's some training that has to happen a little bit um, with our clients, but I'm curious how you approach that with them. Yeah. So one really simply, like I have my values kind of a manifesto on my website. If you take one look at my social, if you take a look at my LinkedIn, you listen to scope creep, you are going to, you're going to get to know me pretty quick. And if any of that is off putting to you, like, for example, saying that, you know, there's a disparity in access to healthcare that is largely the result of unearned privilege, um, that there's a, there's a major issue with health equity in our country. If that's something that is uncomfortable for you, we're, we're not value aligned and that's okay. But I don't, hide those perspectives. Those are really readily accessible if someone's um, curious about me or looking at the kind of work that I do. Mm -hmm. um, I also have to have hard conversations with brilliant people in which I have to remind them that they're not a unicorn. And that's hard. Say that again. They're not. They're not a unicorn. Oh, they're not a unicorn. Yes. So uh, there was a time where mental health tech was brand new and it was this shiny object and it was the darling and it was well-funded 
And then the pandemic happened and venture capital got a whiff of this shiny new toy, dumped Mm. a bunch of money into it. And it's been the wild west ever since. So, and so what that means is I have to say things to clients like, um, creating a mental health platform that makes it easier for folks to access mental health care is important, Mm -hmm. but you are competing with a relatively undifferentiated service at this point. And that's okay. I always say, if you are truly um, doing something unique, call me because I want to work with you. It'll be the easiest messaging strategy I've ever done in my life. Like definitely want to do that work. But since you are offering something that's relatively undifferentiated, your story and the way that you invite people into into your community, you are the conduit for your values. That's your differentiator. That's how you have to set yourself apart. And that can sound really scary because for so long, especially in healthcare, the bar for marketing and messaging was really low. Mm -hmm. You're sick. We'll make you feel better. The end. Goodbye. (laughs) Um, And now because the market is much more noisy and competition is much more fierce, if you want market share, if you want to scale, which I think you can do things, do well by people, do right by people and, and be successful financially, um, you have to think about differentiating yourselves in other ways and embodying your values and the way that you communicate about them is a really powerful way to do that. Gosh, I'm just thinking about mental health <laughs> and how heavy that can be. Um, thinking about some of these emergencies that you have alluded to without even saying, but I can only imagine um, and any kind of healthcare work, I think, can be heavy. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how do you, what fills you up outside of that? Like, how yeah. do you, how do you keep going in this industry? Yep. I would be lying if I said I had days where I wish I wasn't like a subject matter expert on the topic of gardening and that that's <laughs> what I was writing about today. Yeah. Um, it is not easy to write about really heavy topics all the time or to focus on research around some of life's most difficult moments for vulnerable people. Um, But my connection to my mission keeps me going. I will also say that working for myself allows me to structure my life in a way that prioritizes my Mm self-care. I don't have to ask anybody for permission to take an afternoon off to go see my therapist to go for a walk in the woods with my dogs, to catch up on my guilty pleasure podcasts, uh, to turn down work that, you know, I'm just at threshold, right? Um, So there's that, but there's also kind of the business side of it where I have the freedom to build out other arms of my business and different lines of service that are more in the thought leadership, founder story space, um, supporting other female entrepreneurs as a way for me to not only do other cool and interesting stuff I like to do, but give me a little bit of a breather, um, from some of the heavier stuff that I'm often mired in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You definitely need a break, walk in nature, play with the pups, all the things. (laughs) Yep. And I've had times even recently, um, where I said to an editor, you know what? this one's feeling really close to home right now. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on this topic. And, and they're totally understanding about that. But there are just times where I'm a human that struggles with her own mental health. And, you know, I I have the privilege to be able to say no to work sometimes. And I understand that as a privilege, Mm -hmm. but I think that's often really hard to do, especially when the bills are coming in. I started out as a freelancer and that was over 15 years ago. And then we've been in our business for 10 years. 
but we don't have the perks like you would in a real job, right? Like benefits, healthcare. I mean, we pay for our own healthcare, things like that. One of the biggest benefits that I can think of is the flexibility. And like you said, I do recognize our privilege to be able to work with who we want to and work on the projects that we want to, but just having that flexibility to stand up and get away from the computer Mm -hmm. and go for a walk, (laughs) you know, to be human, to build work around your life instead of the other way around. A hundred percent. Sounds revolutionary. And I firmly believe that it shouldn't be. Um, but that's part of my mission. Yes. have, Have these conversations that are living, breathing examples of other ways of working that allow you to prioritize yourself. Mm, I'm here for that. Me too. Okay, Liz. Um, we have now come to the time in the podcast. It's our segment, pick a card, any card. I am, I am here for the games and this is just a simple one, but we have these cards with different questions on them. I'll read you the shapes so you can just pick one, but we have the red check, the green clover, the yellow star, the pink heart, blue diamonds, purple, Triangle, let's call it a pyramid. I like alliteration. Purple pyramid and orange arrows. Oh let's man. Do the red one. The question is. This is funny. I because I could okay. I've just answered it in my own head. Okay. <laughs> it's a two-part. You can pick right. which one you want. I'm sure you have answers for both. What is the best book you've read or podcast you've listened to? See, in my head, I was like, oh, scope creep. I like script. Oh, I'm not going to say my podcast. No, for me, for um, me, that's my answer. Oh, that's hard. Um, my favorite book is Just Kid by Patti Smith. Why? Godfather of Grunge, or God, excuse me, Godmother of Grunge. Um, it is a haunting and poetic, heartbreaking love story among two artists. It's about her relationship with. Uh, Robert Mapplethorpe. And I don't know if you know anything about his history or his art, um, but I love her as a musician. I love her as a poet. And there's something about the love lost and the heartbreak in the story. And it's also kind of a love story to New York, which is a Mm. place that I spent a lot of time growing up in love. And I just continue to return to it every couple of seasons. I really love it. I love that. I love hearing everybody's um, just what they're reading, what they're listening to. I just have a constant kind of reel in the back of my head or, you know, on my Kindle. So you have to tell me your answers. Oh, no. Well, my podcast, of course, I'm I'm binging scope creep. So that that (laughs) is a good one. Oh, my gosh. Books. Oh, gosh. I right now I'm reading something on the Enneagram. Um, I will tell you the book that just popped into my head because it changed my life. It's the Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. That was the catalyst of me kind of digging into some of this work in vulnerability and addressing those, the perfectionist in me and realizing that actually mistakes are how we learn. So what's wrong with a mistake? (laughs) You don't have to be perfect. Required reading. (laughs) Everybody. Yes. Everybody. Yes. Read that book. Yes. Um, Okay. So what? Coming back to this, what is the best piece? Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to flip this and maybe that'll be a two part two, because I heard this uh, as a question you and Jamie were talking about. And if I haven't mentioned it before, Jamie's going to be a guest on doing hard things too. So I'm very excited to get to talk with both of you, but I heard you talk about it. 
typically when you hear people say like, oh, well, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? But you asked, what's the worst piece of advice you've been given? So I want to hear <laughs> yeah. both. Um, and then I also am curious, like what advice you would have for someone starting out in your industry? Yeah. So Jamie and I, episode seven is all about bad business advice and girl boss red flags. And we recorded it because frankly, we got really sick and tired of seeing people who are not delivering a lot of insight and value, essentially selling the snake oil version of business advice to vulnerable people. Um, and I've had experience of that myself. Something sounds super shiny and great. Someone's going to 10 X your email list. Or I saw one the other day that was like 60 days to 600 K <laughs> like, come on. What? Yeah. And so I think some of the scariest advice out there is also the advice that kind of taps into our humanity and some of our most basic needs. Uh, so if anybody is ever selling you on like the one true way that they have this one formula that's going to result in this very specific result, and they're not calling in diverse perspective. They're not showing you like what maybe other experts think, but just kind of positioning themselves as the guru that you can't be successful without, that they have some secret sauce, golden ticket that is often very expensive. Um, I would be very wary of that because in those tough moments, boy, does that sound great. In those times where, you know, leads are drying up and you're having a hard time getting clients or maybe you got laid off and you're worried how you're going to pay your mortgage. What do we want more than anything else is for somebody to show us the way. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there's, there's not really valuable advice out there and you shouldn't educate yourself and take advantage of whatever expertise you can gain access to. Um, but I say this as someone who records a podcast on entrepreneurship. Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to me and Jamie, like go out there go listen to other perspectives and just be wary of anybody that has like that guru messiah complex vibe. Very good tips. What about the best advice? What's the best advice you've been given? It took me a long time to <laughs> accept it, but it sounds corny, but it's true. There's, there's only one of you. And if you try to go be somebody else or just model yourself after what your competitors are doing or whatever, everybody else is doing, um, you're, you're not going to stand out in your marketplace. Uh, the number one generator of new business and revenue in my business has been my personal brand. And that's not a pat on the back to me to say that I am, have this like incredible personal brand and everybody should do what I do. No, it's just business and life got a whole lot easier when I stopped comparing myself to other people and keep up with the Joneses. And I just started showing up as Liz as a person with opinions and not waiting for somebody to give me permission to take up space. Who does she think she is? I stopped caring about that. And I decided to speak my mind and do so in a way that drew the right people to me and my brand. That's so good. I'm thinking of another answer to the past question about a book because it aligns with this. Um, there's a local author here. His name is CJ Cassiata, and he wrote a book called Get Weird which immediately I'm like, I'm listening, I'm tell in. me more. <laughs> but he has, yeah. he has this line I quoted all the time because it just gut punched me. He said, and, and it goes back to that vulnerability piece. But the minute you use 
your crooked nose or your offbeat perspective is the minute you're going to find a whole bunch of other people who now feel permission to be themselves too. So that's exactly when I read that, I was like, uh, yes, I, I don't know why I have let these voices of people that I don't even know on the internet telling me something that isn't me telling me I should be something, somebody who I'm not. What is the worst piece of advice somebody has given you? Oh, I mean, I have a light one. Like I, I was on a webinar, like a live training the other day. And this person is very well known in the email marketing world. Okay. Uh, they're very well respected, especially in, you know, supporting coaches, solopreneurs, service-based business providers. And they told someone, well, they told the audience in the days leading up to a launch to email your list 10 times a day. <laughs> And, what? <laughs> and they said that, that your audience would like that. That um, feels, that feels and, like a very quick way to an unsubscribe for me. Right. Right. But, but the reason that I love to talk about this example, I'm not trying to throw shade on this person, but they're in a position of authority with an audience of very green and new freelancers and solopreneurs. And they've got this power. There's this power differential, right? And they're telling these folks something that I guarantee you, if these folks heard that and listened with their guts, they'd be like, huh? If somebody emails me 10 times a day, I'm like getting stalker vibes, like unsubscribe. Absolutely. Like, so there's this moment where you have to choose between listening to your gut, honoring your own wisdom and expertise, or listening to somebody who has this position of authority. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really good example of, this, this is a time to trust your gut and to say to hell with like whatever this guru is telling you, but that it can be so hard to do when you're constantly surrounded with messages that, you know, this person knows is the way to be $1 million, like email marketing campaign, right? I don't have that. I don't, I'm not an email marketing specialist. That's not, you know, I, I do that stuff sometimes. But that's not my primary line of business, but here's this person with this quote expertise telling me this, who, who do I trust myself or this other person? So if your spidey senses are going off, you should listen. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Yep. Trust your gut. Trust, Trust your, your gut. gut. It doesn't matter if you paid a bunch of money to get into the door of some like course or group coaching program or class. If something really feels off to you, um, listen to that. Yeah, that's, that's huge to just trust yourself, have confidence that you know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So the last question to bring it back around to purpose, and it's super simple, but probably carries a little bit of weight too. What is your why? So my why um, is growing up in a situation where a lot of folks didn't have access to the supports that could have made a difference in their mental health and seeing what that did to my family and how all the bootstrapping and hard work in the world doesn't take the place of that level of support. And so I'm a person that really believes strongly in my mission of making that types of support more accessible. And there are lots of ways to do that. I happen to do that in the space of leveraging technology to help open some of those doors. Um, but also in using my platform to spearhead some of those conversations about what we 
rethinking some of those solutions might be. Is it always therapy? No, that's not for everybody. But what else can we call in that might make a difference in somebody's well-being? So that we can put that in front of, in the hands of more people that may not have otherwise met. Mm, that's good. Well, that's all I have, Liz. Thank you so much for your time. It has been such a treat to get to talk with you and actually, you know, engage in conversation with you instead of just talking to the podcast and being like, yes, yes, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Likewise, like, this has been such a treat. Again, an example for me of what happens when you show up as yourself, your people find you and we get to have conversations like this one. So it's been a real treat. If you'd like to hear more, you can connect with Liz Talago, that's T-A-L-A-G-O on LinkedIn, or follow her on Instagram at Liz Talago. If you're looking for more podcasts, I highly recommend Scope Creep. You can follow Liz and Jamie at Scope Creep Show. We're also on Instagram at Doing Heart Things and at Mazo Media. Thanks for joining us today. Did this conversation strike a chord with your heart? We'd love for you to share your story with us at mazomedia.com slash heart. Please also share, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your help getting us into your friends' ears. We'll see you back here with the next episode. Until then, keep doing hard things. Doing Hard Things is brought to you by Mazo Media, an award-winning creative studio in Nashville, Tennessee. We work with people, brands, and organizations to help tell their stories through videography, photography, graphic design, and social content. We believe that everyone has a story worth telling, and it's in those stories that we build bridges to each other. Ready to share yours? Get started at mazomedia.com.